like I get really obsessed with like maybe this will do the thing that I want from video games that I can't articulate but is deep in my soul. <laughs> Internet, you're listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. I'm an award-winning novelist, a best-selling humorist, and I am once again under quarantine. Um, I don't know if that makes me famous. Probably not. Uh, but yeah, my uh, kids have been going to real school. Um, we're about a quarter into the school year, a half semester, if you want to call it that. I uh, got a call on Monday saying my daughter has been exposed to the COVID virus. Um, apparently one of, one of the kids in her class uh, tested positive for it. So we are all quarantining as much as we can uh, until November 9th. So... If you were planning on robbing our home, now is probably not the best time because we'll all be here 24-7. Um, unless that's your thing. Like, you like to rob homes with people who are, like, there. I don't know. I don't know what people are into. I don't know what the kids are into these days, which is the perfect segue to my topic this week. Um I wanted to do a lighter episode for once. A lot of these episodes have been really heavy lately. A lot of religion, a lot of politics. Um, this is going live two days before the American presidential election. Um, so I'm thinking maybe y'all need a break from some of that now sayance. Um, so I wanted to talk video games, um, which as I say in the interview you're about to hear, is what I'd always rather be doing than what I'm actually doing. I just, I want to talk video games all day long because video games are fun. Um, now, if you're not into video games, I'm still kind of hoping you'll stick around um, because what this conversation is about is ultimately about the digital media revolution, right? Like, for most of the 20th century, uh, we got our media, quote unquote, um, you know, put whatever you want in that blank, music, films, books, whatever, um, in physical format. Um, and now most of those things have gone, quote unquote, streaming, right? You stream your music from Spotify you stream your movies off of Netflix or Disney Plus. Um, and if you don't stream, you download. But download is starting to look like a stepping stone to streaming. Um, previously, you would download or music or movies, uh, but you don't anymore. Like, or almost nobody does anymore. They just stream it. Um, that hasn't quite happened to games yet, but it's looking like it will. Um, Google Stadia is a thing. Uh, xCloud is quickly becoming a thing. Um, and I'm personally 
skeptical that streaming games will ever really work. <laughs> uh, certainly that it'll ever really work well enough for me. So I brought on a friend of mine, uh, Richard Clark, uh, who is, well, he'll tell you who he is. Um, <laughs> he, he was an editor uh, of mine for a while. He's not really in the uh, classical editing business anymore, but um, he'll he'll talk about what he does. Um, and he knows a lot about video games. Um, he's kind of a one of the biggest video game nerds I know, and he's also a good friend. So, and he's gone all streaming in his uh, in his gaming. Roughly, uh, he's doing Google, Google Stadia. He's uh, doing Xbox Game Pass, which is a mix of download and streaming. Um, so anyway, I wanted to ask him, you know, why have you switched? Why have you taken the plunge? Uh, so that's what we talked about. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let Richard introduce himself. I'm going to flip you over to our conversation, and I will see you on the other side. Richard, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Richard is someone I've known almost a decade now. He was an editor of mine back at Christ and Pop Culture back in the day, uh, then an editor of mine at Christianity Today. Uh, he has left all that behind, now works for a very confusing company called The Useful Group. <laughs> um, you want to tell people what The Useful Group does, what you do for them? Agencies are by definition confusing. That's the whole point. <laughs> They're not the point. The point is the, the work we do. So we, we do all kinds of work for all kinds of companies and organizations and people and brands. Um, and we're lucky enough to, to be able to do a lot of work that, that is really uh, fulfilling and that, that we can be proud of. Um, but, but right now, I think our, my big thing, at least, is, is called Area Code. Um, it's, you can find it at areacodenetwork.com, which is it's a podcast network. We have about nine podcasts right now that are uh, really built around being uh, as authentic as possible. As uh, we we get creators who are interested in creating things and being themselves in a way that maybe they couldn't if they were supported by like some established organization or something. Which of course Area Code is, but we lean really hard into being like, no, but are you really being yourself here? Right? Um, as we work with uh podcasters and um and creators so that's the big thing right now our latest release is a podcast of mine called eden grove which is an improvised podcast about living in a suburban town where nefarious things may or may not be afoot um it's like serial but improvised humor and set in a suburban town so is that kind of like welcome to night vale then or also, welcome to Night Vale. Yeah, <laughs> serial plus welcome to Night Vale plus comedy bang bang is maybe the hey, best way to describe it. That I, you know, I'm intrigued by that pitch. So I uh, like it. Yeah, uh, why um, haven't I pitched it that way before? Like, what you're welcome. Been... Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I just gave you like thirty percent of that pitch, so you're welcome. Um, <laughs> so yeah, listeners, if if that sounds intriguing to you, check it out. It's called Eden Grove, like E D E N, like yes. the Garden of. The right garden on. Of. Right on. Now, I need to ask you this because you work for the Useful Group, which is a pretty new startup, right? It's just a couple of years old, or is it? I'm I'm wrong about this, but 
I want to say five years old. Okay, so five years ago, you guys found, or you 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 didn't help found it. So, but no. five years ago, someone founded the Useful Group. But mm-hmm. my thing back in the 1980s, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, the composer, already founded the Really Useful Group. So. Yeah. Why I do mean, you guys why do you guys need to exist? I mean, if the really useful group is a thing, why do we need the useful group? If you want an agency that's going to avoid weasel words, <laughs> we're the one you want to choose. And presumably and presumably ab- avoid plagiarism of melodies and harmonies. Um Correct. <laughs> well, apparently we're doing musical theater humor today. Um, <laughs> um all right, so what we're actually here to talk about, though, is um, this is going to be one of those just for fun episodes, I think. We're, we're going to talk about what I actually want to talk about, like 99% of the time when I'm talking about <laughs> other things, which is video games. Yeah, um, <laughs> I've been wanting to do a video game episode on this show since I, I launched it, and now I finally am. The dream has finally come true. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about um, your transition from physical media to digital media Mm. Um, because I am a little bit a lot of people seem convinced that the digital revolution has finally come to video games you know we're already streaming movies streaming music and you're the weird one if you're bought like buying CDs or vinyl or DVDs or blu-ray or whatever yeah Um, but I admit I'm skeptical of this narrative that um, the digital Sounds stupid to say the digital revolution has come to video games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Video games have always been digital, um, <laughs> except for the Magnavox Odyssey. Um, little obscure humor for you there. Um, I don't know that one. Really? Mm-mm. Oh. We Is it like to... a physical video game unit? <laughs> well, uh, okay. So er- are we already doing this rabbit trail thing? Early, 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 early video games, <laughs> um, like the Magnavox Odyssey, like Pong, were actually more based on like analog tube technology as opposed to digital programming. Uh, okay. um, the Magnavox Odyssey is widely considered to be the first video game console of all time. Nice. Um, released in the late 1960s by Magnavox. Mm-hmm. Um, and it essentially played... I think a dozen variations on Pong, basically. Um, It was a cartridge-based system, but the cartridges didn't have any memory chips in them. They just acted as digital switches anyway. Um, So for anyone who doesn't know obscure early video game history, there you go. Uh, (laughs) If it's not obvious, I'm someone who would much rather be like reading about video games than actually playing them. And I get that I'm kind of in the minority for that but um here we are um anyway (laughs) where was i yeah i'm i guess i'm personally skeptical of this idea that video games are going to be all all streaming in the future i almost said all screaming in the future that would be awesome too um (laughs) we're already here we're in the future (laughs) but i'm hoping or at least i'm wondering if you can convince me um so why don't we um talk about your story, your personal story, how you got into video games, how video games became a part of your life. Um, let's start at the beginning. If I recall correctly, I think your first game console was actually the TurboGrafx-16. Is that correct? That's a good research. Which is interesting in and of itself. So not, I have to correct that. My first console was an Atari 2600. Okay. Okay. Which, which is interesting because that was 
that came out the year I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, I you're old. I Gosh. am old. Yeah. <laughs> 1982, both I and the 2600 were born. <laughs> um, and my dad had one. And so he kind of, I don't, he never played it or anything. Like, I don't know why he had one, but <laughs> maybe he just got it for me. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but I remember, um, you know, playing like E.T., which was terrible. That game infuriated. <laughs> no, I mean, it was beyond terrible. It was fully broken. It was literally like <laughs> you walk around as E.T. and you fall in a hole and that's it. That's literally what you can do in that game. Um, and then, uh, you know, the tank game. What's it called? Combat. Combat, but I, yeah. I did have, um, I think after that was the TurboGrafx-16, which, okay. um, which I... I think sort of paves the way for the situation I'm in now where I'm playing, you know, like weird, unembraced uh, by gamers uh, video game tech. Yeah, we should um, maybe talk a little bit about what the TurboGrafx-16 was like, because yeah. it's it's not like it had much of a footprint in North America. So yeah. for listeners who don't know. It was essentially like it came out right like in the in the middle period between um like nintendo and super nintendo or uh the sega master system and the sega genesis and so build itself um, as the first 16-bit console which wasn't technically true but i I bought it (laughs) hook line and sinker at the time i was like okay you guys i know you got the best video game of all time in mario brothers (laughs) but i have 16 bits (laughs) and so uh nothing you can do can can hurt me it's Um, a little bit hard to explain to people who weren't there in like the 80s and 90s that like the bits were the be all and end all of the value of a game for several video game generations (laughs) and like 90 percent of consumers had no idea what a bit even was but it was still like my system 16 bit yours only 8 bit think about how long that went on <laughs> it went from the 8 bit nintendo to super nintendo was 16 bit and then we went to 32 bit where you started naming things after yeah. the number of bits well and you, even the turbo graphics 16 has yeah. 16 in the name if yeah. you pick, if you picked up a genesis like an original model genesis you saw the word 16 bit in big gold letters emblazoned <laughs> under the cartridge slot, like just in case you didn't know. Yeah, and culminated, I would say, in Nintendo 64. Right, right. And then, like, the Jaguar tried to beat everyone there. <laughs> Do the math. Yeah. <laughs> that was a Jaguar slogan. That was Do the, the slogan. Math. It's more bits. <laughs> everyone know that worked out well for Turbo Graphics 16. <laughs> so yes. that game, that, that had, like, Box Adventure on it. That's the big one. If you've right, ever which... heard of Bonk's Adventure, now you know. <laughs> it's like if graphics. Sonic is off-brand Mario, then like Bonk is like off-off-brand Mario. It's like a caveman that would hit stuff with his giant head, and that I was... would still prefer to play that over Mario any day. Really? That game is so wacky, <laughs> so absurd. It's true. There's like a whole level where you get swallowed by a dinosaur, right? Yeah. And then the whole level is inside the dinosaur. Inside the dinosaur. And it's pretty clear that that's not something Nintendo would do in no. the 80s. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> What's less family friendly than dinosaur guts? Um, so Sex. Custer's Revenge <laughs> is the answer to your question. You know, I, I swear, Custer's Revenge is like the the Godwin's law of every video game conversation. Like it. Oh, that is it, true. Every video game conversation ends up back in Custer's Revenge. We don't need to talk about that right now, though. Listeners can Google that if they want to. Um, 
<laughs> I I will. So what I would say is that I I have I've been an early adopter from the beginning in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Like a a, mm-hmm. a uh, an ill-fated early adopter. So TurboGrafx-16 was one, and then I did get the 32X when I had the Genesis for a while. All my friends had Super Nintendo, so already Genesis was a risk. And 32X is another another example of this bit war, yeah. right? Of if if listeners don't know, it was a a you know an attachment for a Sega Genesis that would yeah. go into the cartridge slot, and then you had to like hook it up on the back. It was, it was very odd, yeah. um, <laughs> and it yeah. would power up your Genesis to thirty two bits of power. <laughs> am I am I remembering that right? Yep. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's interesting. I'm someone who's who's like very interested in like this wonky graveyard of um you know dead-end video game hardware like i find that stuff fascinating like the virtual boy and stuff but i never actually owned any of that stuff right right. um so talking to you is like i don't know you're like a living time capsule man what's the difference why why did you never own that stuff well you just didn't fall for it at the time i didn't have a lot of money as a kid okay and my parents thought video games were really stupid which so you didn't even get like you didn't get anything okay so Here's my personal history with video games. Yeah. Um, as as stated, you are an old person. I am a young flower. Um, <laughs> so I was I was I was born in '85, uh, which was the year that NES came out in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, first became aware of it when I was about three, probably, and it like '88, '89. That was when it was getting like huge. Yeah. Um, and I have a I have a brother who's about five years older than me. Um, and you know, then I have like two younger siblings, but they're not important. Um, anyway, my older brother and I begged and begged and begged our parents for an NES and they just refused. They were like, no, video games are stupid. They're a waste of time. We're not going to spend money. Um, eventually my older brother got a paper route, made some money, bought us a used super Nintendo. Um, so that was my, that was like the first game console I had in the house. I also, as a kid, I also had like a Commodore 64, but I really didn't appreciate what I had at the time, you Mm -hmm. know, like my, you know, cause all I knew was NES, like that was video games for me. I didn't realize that I had this incredible video game machine sitting right there. I was like, oh, that's a computer. That's boring. Um, um, so anyway, yeah. So, um, my my older brother got the Super Nintendo. Eventually, he went off. He decided he was bored of it. Tried to sell it. Um, what a short short version is he sold it, and I bought an N sixty four, and I ended up very annoyed with that because it had like no games on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Eventually, I traded that in for a PS two, and then a Wii. Um, anyway, like now we're into my adult life, so we we don't have to have to keep going there, but. <laughs> Um, I never had, I never had like a ton of money to spend on stuff. And my parents, um, put a lot of effort into discouraging me from spending what money I had on video game systems. Mm -hmm. So, um, I did rent a virtual boy, um, once and I, I actually really like, I, I managed to just randomly get the two good games for it. Um, so I actually really enjoyed using it (laughs) for the time I had, Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, why don't we get back to your childhood? Because that's really what we're supposed to be talking about here. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm curious about about um, this parent versus kid thing with you um, uh, because because you ended up with such weird hardware. Yeah. Um, like, were you the one saying, "Mommy, mommy, I want a TurboGrafx-16," or was it like your parents are like, "Well, 
he likes them video game things. This has 16 in the name. It's probably good. Like what was the, what was the dynamic there? My, my relationship with my parents with this stuff has always been to this day. What do you want for Christmas? Here, here is what I want for Christmas, right? What li- do you want you've for- been living the dream from the and, moment and then you were I born. Think, I'm one of those people that has a birthday right in the middle of the year in July. Oh, so, man. So if I didn't get the thing that came, like if the thing came out after Christmas, I would yeah. just get that in on my birthday. And I, I pretty much, I mean, I, I had, there's like limits, right? But like, <laughs> and, and of course, sometimes you want to get games, but mm-hmm. you could always rent games. But um, yeah, I... I uh, read a lot of video game magazines, so I was always hyper aware of what was out there and like potential. I think I was obsessed with potential. This mm-hmm. is actually a through line in my life is like I get really obsessed with like maybe this will do the thing that I want from video games that I can't articulate but is deep in my soul. <laughs> um, and so I would always like, yeah, the, I think the TurboGrafx 16 was the one where I was pretty convinced I would be like the coolest kid on the block and like, you know, well, the kid in the ads. It was 16-bit. No <laughs> yeah. one else had a 16-bit game system. You just can't system. argue with it. It's impossible <laughs> to argue with. But within less than a year, like everyone had a Super Nintendo and I was pretty much screwed. Oh. That was a sad, that was a sad situation. But I showed them because I got a Genesis... Which does what Nintendo don't. <laughs> so, but still doesn't have games set in the guts of dinosaurs. So, That's true. I, I never got back to that point. So, did you did you trade the Turbo Graphics in for the Genesis then? It's a great question. I don't think so. Just not to my knowledge. I think the Turbo it. Graphics seem honestly. Um, I'd be curious if other like you didn't talk back then, but like now everyone knows about controller drift on the switch, you know? Oh yeah. 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 Um, back then, if you had the switch, you would just like, go. my controller is drifting a lot. That's weird. Mm -hmm. And you'd like tape it or something. Like you just figure (laughs) out what to do. But back then the TurboGrafx 16 was like terrible. It's like, it would stop playing games. It would just stop working. (laughs) It would work like maybe 10% of the time it would like fully boot up. Yeah, um, and so yeah. I remember we turned. We had to send it in to get serviced <laughs> once, which was like a freaking lifetime. Yeah, in kid days. Gosh, um, and then uh, it stopped working again, and I gave up. And I think I just got a Genesis. Kind of get the impression that TTI Turbo Technologies was running on a very shoestring budget in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I can't imagine there what probably wasn't a whole lot of manufacturing quality control or yeah, yeah. yeah. So we ended up with the Genesis and eventually the 32X, which is fascinating to me that you're like one of the five people that bought a 32X. Yeah. Did you did you have a, a Sega CD as well? Or? I did not. No, oh. I didn't have a Sega. I wanted one real bad, but... So you couldn't play like the, the HD version of Fahrenheit or whatever. <laughs> yeah, never played any of those full... You know, full motion video games is like a whole blind spot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just never... I never got fully into them in the way that I would have liked to. I think I was well into adulthood before I figured out what the big deal about CDs was supposed to be. You know, like I I heard about the Sega CD and of course I had a Super Nintendo at the time. So I was, you know, console wars were very much the thing then. So you would beat your chest and brag about how you had the best system. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it has CDs. What's the big deal? Like, what can you do? What can you even do with those? Well, (laughs) apparently the answer was full motion video. Um, Well, and it's funny. It is funny how as a kid, you and and as an adult, you fill in like it's 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 fully. What's the word? Like, it's like sunk cost 
situation. Yeah, yeah. The sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. Yeah, you have to justify. Like the console wars were so real because kids had to justify the unretractable decision that they had made. Right, and for when years you, when you're a kid in the '90s, like two or three hundred dollars for a console is just like this unfathomable amount. Yeah. Um, partly because you're a kid, and partly because that was like six hundred dollars in today's money. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, once once you've invested, you you want to convince yourself you have the best thing, and you. Well, and part, I mean, part of it, I'm sure, too, is that if more people buy it, more people make games for it, which is better for you. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like even even now, now that I've gone fully to Switch for my game playing, I still like every time I see like a port on Switch that's like worse than on Xbox or PlayStation, I, I, I start going, well, it's not that much worse. Like it matters. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But can I, you play it on the sofa? But like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> can you play it in a car? Right. Yeah. Um, like and it doesn't it, even with games that I'm probably not going to buy. It's like why am I? I don't know why am I hype trying to hype myself up about how how it's not that much worse. I don't know. Um, but um, obviously, in the '90s and the early days of gaming, everything was was physical. There was no digital unless you had the Sega Channel, which maybe you did. I don't know. It seems like you had everything. Uh, I wanted a Sega Channel. I don't think it was available in my area. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't it come out around G- Dreamcast time? Well, no, that there was a there was a, a Sega channel available for Genesis that was like it was it was over like cable, like TV cable. Yeah, I, and for you some could, reason I remember it coming out like around the time the Dreamcast came out, which is a strange. Maybe that's not maybe right. around the time the Saturn came out. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't have everything. My friend had everything. Like he had literally every console. Anything he wanted, he got it. <laughs> it was infuriating. Uh, so he had a Neo Geo, and <laughs> he didn't have a Neo Geo. Oh, okay, I'll admit okay. that. All right. But he had all the big stuff, right? Yeah, he had like yeah. Genesis and Super Nintendo and all of that stuff. So, <laughs> all right. So let's um let's um boldly go forward into the age of uh, well, hope, make our way to the digital age. Mm-hmm. Um. After Genesis, where did where did you go from there? After Genesis, I, oh gosh, I think I went to GameCube. Interesting. Is that, yeah, that is a little the, odd. What were the, no, PlayStation. PlayStation. Play, okay. I went to PlayStation, and um, the game I remember from PlayStation times was Jumping Flash, <laughs> mainly. Jumping Flash. That was my that was my jam back in the day. Jumping I've Flash. Heard the title? Then, I have no idea what that is. Oh, uh, it's a weird game. It's a weird <laughs> game. Um, it was a, it was a, is a, believe it or not, it was a 3D platformer. Okay. Um, okay. But it was very, it was like built around being very floaty. Mm-hmm. Like you would jump, you were a rabbit, like a mechanical rabbit, I think. <laughs> you would jump like a hundred feet in the air I and yeah, land on I think on I've seen platform. video of that. Um, so that and Twisted Metal and a couple others. Um, but yeah, PlayStation, that was another one that would rarely boot up. It would go, boot and then it would just sit there and do nothing. Yeah, the build quality on Sony consoles has never impressed me. Um, I never, I, I never, I never owned a PlayStation, but I did own a, a PlayStation Two, and I, I think I bought that about a year after it launched. So not like the very first model, but still, after like five years, it just literally quit working. Yeah, um, like it wouldn't even. It, it got to this point where it wouldn't even boot a disc. Um, and now we're getting into the advantages. Of digital, right? <laughs> Where you really don't have to blow on anything or clean anything off with your shirt. Yeah. You just need internet. 
and it works. For what it's worth, I I do think it was a a, hard, a like a software problem with the the PS2, like just a problem with the firmware. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But anyway, we also have a PS3, which has been falling apart for years now. I I've been through so many controllers. They all just like I don't know what happens to them, but they all just like start randomly firing. So like it pushes like every button at once, and I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know, like Sony as a broader company is generally known for making high quality stuff like their their consumer electronics, but their their game hardware always seems very rickety to me Yeah. to the point that I'm very happy at, with my decision to go full Nintendo for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, at least go ahead. Nintendo, you can count on quality, right? Like that's the one thing you can tent you can typically count on i feel like that that thing that happened with the nes where you have to blow in the cartridge every time Mm -hmm. like they learned from that Mm -hmm. and and it never happened again. well and that was that was unique to the u.s revision of the hardware as well like the Ah, i didn't know know, that the japanese famicom was a totally different model that it was top loading and anyway um yeah so yeah, I never had a I never had a PS One. I I've heard rumors that eventually, like the early models, especially, you would have to turn it upside down to get it to read the disc. Yes, <laughs> was that yes. a thing? Did that happen to yours? Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I mean, you would just hear it. You would hear that. You would see the the Sony load screen, like the, and then you would just hear it skipping or something. Like you would hear something wrong with the CD. Mm-hmm. So you would do anything. <laughs> to, to make it work you would try all kinds of stuff <laughs> i remember pressing down really hard on the lid like that's the thing i okay yeah doing. yeah i'm going off the top of my head here but i think what i read was that the early models of the ps1 the laser carriage like the the assembly that carried the laser was made out of plastic instead of metal as it is in most you know uh mm-hmm. optical disc readers and what happened was the plastic would just melt eventually and the, oh the laser would like go off like it would get crooked and not be able to read the disc that makes on. me retroactively furious <laughs> yeah it is it is one of those things where like you know uh, sony is this company known for quality and yet uh, their their gaming division just like skimps on everything i don't know um <laughs> Especially with the PS3, which was like this six hundred dollar box that did everything, but started falling apart the moment you took it out of the out of the the box it came in. So I had a PS3, and I don't think I ever had an issue with it. Interesting. Did you have one of the launch models that was like? I don't actually know. Yeah. Okay. Because that, that was so. This was in an era where I would start buying things and then trading them in for other things. Sure. Yeah. So because I'm like again like I and this will be a through line. I can never be content with what I have. And so um, I would, I think I got the PlayStation 3 first and traded that in with the Xbox 360. Actually, no, I reversed that. I yeah. started with Xbox 360. I remember playing that during my brief period of adult single life um, <laughs> and uh, loving life, but then just kind of getting bored of it and traded it in for a PlayStation 3. Hmm. Okay. Maybe for an exclusive or something. Like PlayStation was big on the exclusives at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I never liked Halo that much. So, right, right. Yeah. Whatever else you want to say about Sony, they are very good at making those big, high budget exclusives happen on their systems. Yeah. Um, which, 
is how I ended up with a with a PS3. Um, I was <laughs> when that yeah. when that generation came out, I was kind of in this in this you know punk screw the system phase. So I bought a Wii. <laughs> you know, I was uh-huh. like, I was like, I don't need your, I don't need your your triple blow everything up games. I'm gonna get a Wii and play some bowling with the fam. It's gonna be great. Yes. You Man. know. Yeah. Um, and it was great. Like I, I, you know, I kind of love the Wii. Um, I got it wrong. I'm realizing now I got my timeline completely wrong, which makes for a really bad podcast. But I, <laughs> this is going to matter. This is going to be important. So okay. I actually had the Xbox One, the first Xbox, not the Xbox One. Oh, my God. Here we go. Here we I know. go. Now we're X- getting to Xbox this OG, I think, yeah. is what they usually call it now. I like... had the original Xbox um, during my single years. Then I got married. And I ended up getting the PlayStation 3, and then I traded that in for an Xbox 360, and then I traded that in for a Wii <laughs> at some point. And that was when I essentially accepted I'm not playing video games anymore. Like, yeah. I'm done playing video games, but if I want to, I have a Wii. There's enough here <laughs> to hold me over. Yeah. I can play Wii bowling with my friends. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely I, – I relate to that a lot. Like, I tend to – binge and purge when it comes to video games you know like i'll have these periods in my life where i get like super excited about this new system or whatever and then i'll you know buy it and i'll play and play and play for hours and hours a day and then i'll be like i'm wasting so much time playing video games Mm. i need to read books instead (laughs) and then i'll be then i'll just like forget i have video games for like years you know Um, and then I'll, I'll look at my old dusty video game system and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I spent so much money on that and it's just (laughs) sitting there. I need to use it. And then I'll just start like, I'll go back to like play and play and play and play for hours and hours and hours. And eventually I'll, I'll come back to the, I should be reading books instead thing. And I just, I go through that cycle. Like that's, (laughs) yeah, that cycle has been the one. Mine is like way less about should, right? Really? Like I am I'm very not interested. Like I never feel bad for doing anything. That's one like maybe superpower I have or something. Yeah, yeah. It's obviously a double-edged sword, but mm-hmm. I I never feel bad. I will say that is hard for me to play video games like for hours on end. It's, mm-hmm. it's just something I get bored of doing and so my I limit myself like my something about my body or brain lends itself <laughs> to like balance yeah when it yeah. comes to entertainment choices so mm-hmm. i will in a given night ask my wife i'll go from a tv show to a book to a video game in a given night mm-hmm. um and that's pretty typical um yeah but <laughs> my, my thing is i get up most days and have for the last seven or eight years at like 3 a.m to write so yeah. Then I don't really have a night, you know, I'll put the kids yeah. to bed and I'll be like, well, I have about half an hour before I passed out, do, pass out. Do I want to read, watch a movie, like watch part of a movie, yeah. <laughs> watch an episode of a TV show, play video games? Like, what do I want to do with the half hour I have before my right. brain just completely shuts down? Um, so I don't know if like, I don't know if I should be doing this with my life, but it's what I do. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I don't know. I mean, my thing with video games, and yeah. I've I've felt this way since high school, but I, I'm very much like video games are like the new art form, man, like movies were in the 40s or whatever, yeah. in the 30s, 40s, whatever. Um, and in principle, like a video game is can be as valuable as a book, a movie, whatever. Mm-hmm. In practice, though, I feel like average game is has a much lower ratio of what i get out of it versus time i have to put into it you know Mm -hmm. like it takes what about 
10 hours to read the average book and about 100 hours to get through the average video game. In terms of like um, uppercase artistic merit, right? Yeah, like, well, or, or maybe even like what I what I learn from it or yeah. what it does for me as a human being, you yeah. know? Like, <laughs> I think for me, there is something about games that changes my focus in uh -huh. a way. It's, there's, it, I would actually, I think um, I'm in a season where the meditative benefits of video games help me a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. they, they're able to, to distract me from thinking about big ideas mm -hmm. about, um, about anything remotely stressful, which these days, because of the nature of my work is everything. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. everything pours back into my work in some way. Well, or I was going to say just the nature of what, what the world is like right now. <laughs> That's Yes, that too. Like, like it's everywhere. And so there is something really nice about a Mario game that mm -hmm, lets you mm -hmm. sort of focus on something that doesn't matter. Or more, more aptly said, focus on something that is disconnected from the higher stakes things in the world. Mm -hmm. Right? And I find that really valuable. I think that hasn't always been the case for me. Like it used to be that video games, I remember, and this gets us into the digital argument too. Sure. Is like when I got a 360, one of the biggest deals for me was that the indie store, which what were those? Xbox Arcade. Xbox Live Arcade. Live yeah. Arcade. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that was a huge deal for me because that was when Braid came out. And I remember Braid was a game that connected with me deeply on mm -hmm. a visceral mm -hmm. level in a way that made me feel like I understood myself better. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I don't think, um, I think there was something about playing through that game that amplified that message mm -hmm. and that takeaway mm -hmm. for me. And I think that that is the best case scenario, right? Like that is that, that um, the amplification through living it out and and going through the motions yourself versus reading about it or watching it happen i think is a real thing mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. it but to your point it's very very rare in mm -hmm, video games mm -hmm. and a it it doesn't it certainly doesn't happen in mario or whatever <laughs> mario or doom or whatever it's not happening and and b it rarely happens in these days in games that are trying. There's a lot more games that are trying to mm -hmm, do that and mm -hmm. utterly failing yeah. at it. Yeah. Um, well, and yeah, I mean, as far as storytelling goes with, with a game, there's just literally so many more moving pieces yeah. um, that makes it that much harder to tell a story that really resonates. Like you have to allow for some level of interactivity. And if you allow for too much, you can't really control the story and what it's about and if you allow for too little you end up with a frustrated player yeah um so there yeah i don't know i don't know if it's a balancing act or if it's something else altogether um for me the games that have been most effective at this are the simpler ones mm -hmm, so braid mm -hmm. is a pretty good example of a game that was really centered around one mechanic yeah yeah um, which is this rewinding thing mm -hmm. and they were like what's a story we can build around that mechanic yeah yeah. And I, uh, Celeste is another mm -hmm. great example of that. Mm -hmm. Celeste is one that's really about going up. Like mm -hmm. that's the that's yeah. the gist of it. Yeah. And and they built a story around that game that it, that really struck me, like in a in a in a really good way. Even Doom, to some ex extent, like I actually, I would say, got a lot out of that game. But it it Are you affected talking me. about the 2016 Doom or the like 2016 yeah. Doom? Yeah. Okay. The 2016 Doom like really uh, hit me. Square in the eyes. Which I honestly have had the cartridge for since it came out on Switch, but yeah. I have not gotten around to playing. 
Oh man. Maybe I should. I bought it I bought it for my wife cuz she really liked the old version of Doom, but when yeah. she found out it was a new game, she was like, "Oh, I'm not going to play this." So it's just been sitting around since then. I think I should... that game might have been in my top 3 for last year mm-hmm. or something because it just it just something about the like the ludicrousness of rage, how stupid, <laughs> yeah. how stupid like violent rage is. Interesting. Um, yeah. And and how it's hiding something. I yeah. think I couldn't have articulated it then, but the more I think about it, the more I think That's really interesting. You know, um, it's basically like a, a really deep satire of that. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to get around to playing that sometime. Yeah, I do remember Braid um, when it came out. Like, I never owned an Xbox 360 or actually any Xbox hardware ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a friend who had one, and he showed it to me. I didn't get a chance to play it. I watched him play it a little bit. Um, and I do remember kind of the, there being this moment of like oh 2d games can be good too you know <laughs> like yeah i mean that yeah. sounds really stupid now but like basically from like the mid 90s up until xbox uh, xbox live arcade it really felt like oh big high budget 3d games where you can explore enormous worlds are the future of gaming yeah um i'm sure you remember that moment yes yeah. um and thank god we re- hit the reset button on right that. Like, i mean i mean because i was in on that though like from the moment yeah. i saw super yeah. mario 64 i was like 3d is like like why like these old 2d games are crap you know um, well and even halo like at the time was branching out into like g- genuine story uh-huh. and, and mm-hmm. people at that point were writing like essays about he- halo's yeah, yeah. theology or whatever <laughs> and uh i'm just glad that wasn't sort of the where we ended yeah right? yeah when i when i saw braid it was kind of like oh yeah like a 2d platformer really can tell a serious adult story um with with depth to it um which really hadn't kind of hadn't happened ever i don't feel like because i mean back in the 2d era of gaming so much of it was aimed at kids um that it was you know the stories were as simple as they could possibly make them more often than not yeah um and interestingly the other game that hit me at that time was portal i remember mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i had the orange box and uh and I played Portal, and there was something about that that about that game that really almost made me cry, you know. Which is weird because it, you look back on that game as kind of a silly mm-hmm. game, but there's something about a well, there's something about that ending that just hit me. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't played the original Portal. I played Portal Two all the way through, um, yeah. the single player campaign, and yeah, it was um, there is it, it was a very interesting game in that there was a lot of humor. A lot yeah. of a lot of jokiness to it, but there was also kind of this tragic backstory you were walking through as you played it. Yeah, um, tragic it re- is a good word for for the storyline of one too. Like yeah. you, you kind of like you you kind of build this relationship with this robot who learns to love you, and you think that she's out to get you, and maybe she's not um, in the <laughs> yeah. end. And, yeah. and it's just kind of sad. Yeah. So Xbox Live Arcade was what got you into this idea of downloading games i guess mm-hmm. um and I, I i mean to under underline what you were saying earlier it really was kind of this idea of like you know digital downloads give creators who aren't super interested in working with these mega budgets and making these huge games a chance to shine is that is that an accurate summary yes of, and and, yeah. and and it's it was very creator focused at that time, mm-hmm. right? It was very much like the the doors are not open to anyone who wants to play make a game and knows how to do that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so, yeah. And we're seeing that now in the, kind of this general indie explosion on Steam and on yeah. Switch as well. Indie is now a, a genre, yeah, right? Which, right. Is, like, which, which wasn't the case with the Xbox Live Arcade for a minute. Mm-hmm. For a minute, it was just like, this is an indie platformer game. But now you get this indie genre, which is great because it almost esteem, it puts esteem onto being an indie game as opposed to making it like a disclaimer. Um, Xbox 360. Yeah. What? Where do we go from there? I did the I did the Wii. I traded in for a Wii. Um, yeah. And Which... I also think I I iPhone was a thing around this time. Yeah. Like remember when people thought mobile gaming was going to be like a real thing that people yeah. did. <laughs> And this is where we get into a really interesting place where download in equaled sort of like um, you lower the stakes completely on right, whether or not this right. is a good game. You can start trying things for cheap. <laughs> yeah. And I remember writing iPhone uh, reviews about games oh, over gosh. and over and yeah. really having to grapple on a personal level with like, am I wasting my time yeah. with this game that is meaningless? Yeah. Um, is Doodle Jump like a waste of my time? Yeah. yeah Just yeah. because... I only play it for five days and move on. I've <laughs> clearly gotten a dollar's worth out of this game. Yeah. So it, is it a waste of money and time to play it just yeah. because I'm moving on within a week? So is ephemerality like a problem? Right. Right. Yeah. When I, I I'm not going to claim to be like the most prescient person in the world. Um, yeah. But when I, when I saw the, announcement about like iphone apps or whatever when they first came out said hey you can get apps on your iphone i was definitely like this is going to blow up gaming as we know it like yeah and i don't know if it's going to blow it up in a good way um because before the iphone came out like gaming was you go to the store you spend 60 dollars, you buy a disc in a box and it's it's this huge game that you play for hundreds of hours or whatever and all of a sudden it's like here's this device that can download games instantly and they cost a dollar and yeah. anybody can put something on the store. And it's just like, I mean, it kind of, I, I, it kind of led, I guess, where I ultimately expected it to was that it's just this endless dump of shovelware and it's impossible to find anything good now. I <laughs> am, mean, I, so, am I being unfair? Or? <laughs> no, I think you're being basically fair. And and the people are trying to solve that problem. Right. And, yeah, and it's yeah. interesting to talk about the way they're tra- trying to solve the problem. The thing I will say is I've almost nothing to say about free to play, except it's an obvious problem. It's boring to me, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I mean, there but are there good was games a, that have used the free to play model, but it's yeah. just, yeah. But there was this golden age of like game after game after game that was just incredible, mm-hmm. like like the best. Like if you wanted an ephemeral like Mario style, I want to forget my life <laughs> game, you yeah. could find a million of them on the iPhone, and they were they were creative and thoughtful, and there are a lot of really smart people doing really interesting things mm-hmm. in that space. Mm-hmm. Then free to play happened, but what's really interesting to me is what happened after that, which is. Apple Arcade mm-hmm. came out, mm-hmm. which was Apple's answer essentially to free to play. And they, they really wanted to cultivate these games that like didn't nickel and dime you to death mm-hmm. or at least like make you think. To me, what I hate about free to play games is like that decision fatigue. Right. Of, like, do I need to do this? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. like, am I getting even just even if you decided not to spend money on it, you're constantly going, am I getting Am I? Do I need to move on to a different game because mm-hmm. I'm not going to spend money on it? It's just constant. 
And so with Apple Arcade, it just shuts that down. It's like, no, you paid your $5 <laughs> for the month. You're set. You can just play all these games. Maybe we should, uh, since Apple Arcade's pretty new, maybe we should talk about what that is for listeners who don't know. Yes, I'm sorry. So Apple Arcade is like a subscription service that lets you download any number of games on their Apple Arcade slate, mm -hmm. um, essentially for $5 a month. Yeah. And you have access them with, to them as long as you pay that subscription price. So it's almost like Netflix for games, except you, you do have to download the games. You can't, mm -hmm. you don't stream them, quote unquote. That's right. Um, That's so right. yeah, you, you give Apple $5 a month, which you're already giving Apple like your entire soul. So you might as well, you know, <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you're an iPhone owner. And if you're um, like me, the equation was I'm already giving them $10 a month on video games. Yeah, uh, right. $2 here, $2 there. Yeah. So I might as well yeah. just give them a lump sum and never buy a game again. Yeah. And there's, I think, hundreds of games available on Apple Arcade, right? Or is it? A, a decent amount. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and yeah. it's it's a curated list so that you have pretty good assurance that most of them will be worth your time. Um, yeah. So for $5 a month, it's it's really not a bad deal. I have I haven't tried it out, but... um. Yeah, I do. I do remember that um, because at this point in your life, I knew you pretty well. We had um, mm -hmm. you and I and a bunch of other guys. We have a, a Facebook Messenger conversation going on, and we've we've had it for several years. Of it's it was originally called Switch Bros for Life, I believe. We've got some got some women <laughs> in on the conversation now, so it's Switch right, Sims less, now. Less um, and it was it was originally it was originally intended to be a place to discuss Nintendo Switch, which it still mostly is, but. Mm -hmm. Then I see you going off on this tangent, which is why you're here now, of like, oh, I'm going Apple Arcade now. And I was like, traitor. Because <laughs> console wars, man. Yeah. Um, but does, are you, are you um, completely off the Switch these days then? Is... Okay, so this is the crux. <laughs> All of that stuff I said, I'm going to get to the heart of the matter, right? Um, the switch was a problem for me and I'll tell you why. So all of the, remember all of that stuff I said about like, poten like potential, it's all about potential mm -hmm. for me. And anytime there's a new thing that hinted at giving me that potential. Um, so like I having would, 16 bits or having, having 32 bits. bits. <laughs> so with the switch, the switch was sort of an, uh, I bought the switch because it was as a lifestyle, an answer to a lifestyle problem, yeah. which I'm a dad. I need to be able to like start and stop games really quickly or at least play, you know, in the dead zones and blah, 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 whatever. That that was great. Um, but the, one of the things the Switch did was get me way into games again, mm -hmm. um, which ev really every new console does that, I guess, for mm -hmm. me. But uh, the, the, the Switch suddenly had this huge avalanche of new games coming out yes. for it. And um, we, we were talking when this was happening, like it started out, nothing was out for the uh -huh. Switch. Yeah. And you would buy almost anything just it was, because. It was like it was there was like game. one Nintendo game every yeah. month, which, you know. You bought Snake Pass at that time. I remember that. Which like, I, I actually, I will stand up and defend like the first half of Snake Pass. Look, <laughs> look, Snake Pass is a great game, but it's also just a puzzle game about yeah. snakes doing puzzly yeah. things <laughs> like there's nothing super special about snake pass no um, but it costs like 30 dollars or something at the time i think it's 20 like, but yeah it was yeah more than it was probably worth <laughs> <laughs> so the crazy thing that started happening is because so many games were coming out there were sales all the time mm -hmm. everywhere yeah and you could just buy like a game for five dollars here or a game that you really want for ten dollars here and i 
could not control myself, Luke. Like I, every game started to be the potential to change my life forever. And I still do it to some degree today. Like I sign up for like the subscri- the tweet, the tweet updates. And mm-hmm. this is a, like, I go look at decodeals.com to see like, what's there, what's the hottest deal. Yeah. And, um, and see if I can afford some of these things. It, it got to be ridiculous. I have games that I haven't played more than 30 minutes of that. I really want to play, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. because I played 30 minutes, got stuck on something. And then a new sale came out. I've, I'm gone. Like it's over. <laughs> that's a problem. I started to realize that that's a problem. And what I started to also realize what that was that the origin of that problem is not necessarily a bad thing, which is mm-hmm. that I like to test things. I sure. like to sample things sure. and I like to explore the potential that's out there. And so one well, of the and things t- time was you could go to Blockbuster and rent a game if you wanted to try it out. Yes, that's a really good point. That's <laughs> no, a really you can't good do point. that anymore. And I was raised doing that. Yeah, like yeah. I was raised going to video warehouse for me. Um, mm-hmm. Renting like freaking RPGs. I knew I hated RPGs, but you might as well try it, you know. Um, and that's how I learned I like Fantasy Star for some reason hmm. that I don't understand. Interesting. But, um, but like when Apple Arcade came out, I was like, there it is. That's the calculation. I will no longer look at iPhone sales. I will just play Apple Arcade games. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's where we get to streaming, right? Mm-hmm. Like for me, um. Stadia is paying $10 for a pro subscription and you get seven games to play over the courses of of them. Like you get seven free games every month, Mm -hmm. basically. And you try them out. If you, if you like you, if you like them, great. If you don't, you move on to the next thing and you keep doing that for a while. And then Xbox game pass happens and it allows me to go literally all the time. I'm just trying new stuff every night and, then what's really nice about that is it causes me to really miss like getting into a game. Sure. And if I want to do that, I can, you know, uh, what's important is that this is none of this is reliant on hardware. Mm-hmm. I already, mm-hmm. already have the hardware. Right. I don't have to trade in a console and spend a hundred dollars mm-hmm. over here to try a whole new set of games. I can just check out stadia one month, check out game pass another. Mm-hmm. And, uh, try things okay so for listeners who don't know because stadia is pretty new as well stadia is yeah. like google's game streaming service um and streaming you know means you don't actually download the game onto your hardware like yeah. the game is running on google's servers and you are controlling it remotely sitting at your pc or tv or like even on your mobile phone right it works on some mobile devices right yeah. um and um yeah i mean is is Game Pass similar? Does does that stream games as well? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Game Game, um, Game Pass is Microsoft or Xbox's service. So Game Pass has a different, few different approaches depending mm-hmm. on the system you're on. So I've got like I've got it on my Android phone. Um, okay. Which that streams, that's cloud. Right. And then they have like console which downloads games yeah. and yeah. PC which also downloads games. I think. But it's it's streaming from Microsoft servers to your phone, not like your Xbox to your phone. Yes. Yeah. Because because right. you used to be able to do that with like a PS3 or and a PSP or a PS Vita mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, like stream from your console to your handheld device, which was just weird. Um, <laughs> now I I do want to talk some about streaming though, because you know I feel like the concerns, the potential concerns there are pretty obvious, um, and. You know, I share some of these concerns. Um, yeah. 
because I, I know Stadia's when it first came out, its reviews were not great. Like it was yeah. it was a little bit eh, it doesn't necessarily work. Um, obviously, the concern is this when you have like a console, if I take my switch and I pop a cartridge into it, I know, hey, this game is designed to work as well as it can with the system. Yeah. The hardware is all right here. There's not going to be any hiccups unless it's just a crappy game, um, yeah. which is you know possible. Yeah. But like, I, I don't have to worry about lag. I don't have to worry about like the screen suddenly freezing up and me being like, oh, I'm going to die. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm convinced that streaming has or can solve those problems. So yeah. convince me. What's What's the pitch? You shouldn't be convinced of that. Um, <laughs> it's not the case. Uh, like the, the, it is um, a little bit touch and go. Mm-hmm. I will say that Stadia works so consistently well compared to my expectations. And mm-hmm. and while the comparison to console in terms of reliability, look, console. If you want reliability, you go to console. Bottom line, period. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what it's for. Right. I would compare it to PC, mm-hmm. and I would say this: I've had a lot more luck with running Stadia games than I have with PC games. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's and that's just that's from. I mean, like, that's just bottom line. Like, I I uh, Stadia works every mm-hmm. time. Now, how mu- how well it works is a different question. But mm-hmm. I've had I've downloaded a lot of PC and MacBook games that like just don't work for some reason. Yeah, you know, yeah. and in it's it's really put me off of pc to some mm-hmm. degree i don't mm-hmm. i don't like i certainly don't like buying something that's not gonna work yeah at least with stadia there's more of a feeling of like sampling and so if something doesn't well i guess everything works um and it's your problem <laughs> if it <laughs> right like if it doesn't work well it's probably a problem on your mm-hmm. end. and so mm-hmm. you can at least take ownership of it and maybe reset the router or something mm-hmm. it's a little binary you either have good enough internet or you don't so yeah for people with good enough internet i would say like stadia is pretty great mm-hmm. and um and it will run things like like i've got red dead redemption 2 that never would have run on my computer mm-hmm. and uh certainly wouldn't run on switch right um and so that's where i'm at it's the only way i'm playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and Red Dead Redemption too, both of which I bought. And then there are a bunch of other things that are uh, come with the pro subscription that that are pretty good too. Yeah, hard to play in a car though. How hard to play? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. If you want to play in a car, but I don't go anywhere these days. <laughs> well, I mean, nobody does, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because this this is what I was wondering about but then forgot i should have written it down i always yeah. think i should i should ask this question and then i think i should write that down and then i don't write it down I did that too. Yeah. <laughs> let me ask you this um we've talked a bit about our shared kind of ping-ponging on video games that it's typically yeah. typically like new exciting game hardware that gets us interested in gaming again um which i guess must be like a fairly universal thing or else they wouldn't release like new consoles every five to 10 years, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just curious. Uh, and the, I'm just asking for your opinion, this brave new world where you can stream any game on any device. Do you think that will, you think that that will 
be self-sustaining? Will people continue to game or will, will people like, like you and me and potentially others get bored of games because we keep playing them on the same system? I have two thoughts about this. One <laughs> is that um, I, le- I feel like I learned with the iPhone to get excited about um, new games. Mm-hmm. Like, th- th- like th- that was the one where when, when, when I could buy a new game for a dollar, I just started looking for opportunities to do that. Mm. And that was the thing I would get excited about mm-hmm. and sort of quicker hits, you know, mm-hmm. um, at an expense, like it, it caused me to care less about games uh, on an individual level, mm-hmm. but I got more excited about games more broadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing. The other, and, and just lower prices help yeah. with that. Right? Yeah. Of games themselves. The other thing I would say is that devices are constantly changing. Like, yeah. people are constantly getting new devices. I just got this sweet new Android. Oh, uh, nice. What is it called? One, uh, the Note 20, the Samsung Note 20. I got it. Yeah. I went from iPhone to Android specifically so I could stream Game Pass games mm-hmm. and Stadia games on it. And, uh, and I'm excited about it. Like, it's yeah, exciting yeah. to get that new hardware and to try... You try different games on it or the same games on it. Frankly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, how do I want to put this? I, I feel like I've had that experience in this, you know, brave new world of free information everywhere is that it's really hard to get excited about one thing, you know, like it's really hard to have that experience of like, I just discovered this new band and they're incredible when there's like, 10,000 mm. bands only marginally different from them on Spotify, right. you know, or right. like, I just discovered this new video game and it's incredible when there's like a hundred other similar games that I can download right now. Or those, or those words like meanless, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's the investment that has gone down, gone down. Yeah. I feel like a, I feel a little bit like a, like a hyperactive dog, like <laughs> looking, there's a new one, there's a new one, there's a new one. Yeah. Uh, and, and I get less of like the, going back to a game over and over and really digging deep into it, which is something I miss a lot. And Mm -hmm. I I will say the one thing that makes me unnerved about game pass is that games leave it and it gets you in a headspace where you, you almost don't want to get too invested in a game. Mm -hmm. Just like you don't want to date a girl you think is going (laughs) to ultimately leave you. Like you don't want to get to the end of red dead redemption Two only which just left game pass by oh my the way. gosh you don't want to get to the end of it and almost beat it and then mm-hmm. it goes away mm-hmm. and then you have to spend what spend 60 dollars on it <laughs> like no that's crazy that's why i pay for game pass yeah yeah time. that is a yeah no I've, I've never had this experience myself but i have like heard from people that like are like three episodes from the end of a series on netflix and then it leaves netflix and that <laughs> sort of thing and it's like at least with Netflix, like it's typically a movie that leaves Netflix. Yeah, it's pretty like it's pretty. You hear about it for months when like the yeah. Office is about to come yeah. away. But uh, yeah, I think both both yeah. the Office and Friends are off Netflix now to the yeah. to the frustration of millennials everywhere. Chagrin, um, yeah, chagrin means embarrassment, doesn't it? I feel like. Oh, does it? I feel like people throw that word around, but I think it's it's dictionary definition oh, is bad. embarrassment. See, now I gotta look it up. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. Um, all right, well let's let's wrap up because we're we're um, almost to the hour mark here. Sure. Um, 
Aside from your new beliefs themselves, your new belief in streaming gaming, <laughs> what would you say you learned from this experience of changing your mind? It, it is that thing of like, I, um, the way my brain works is it's constantly looking for missed potential. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm always going to find something wrong with the thing I'm doing, <laughs> the thing that's here now. Yeah. I'm always going to want to move to the next thing. Mm -hmm. That that is a valuable thing is also a real problem and i'm trying to figure out how to balance hmm. that um and and also like i think the thing that streaming allows me to do is just sort of nip in the bud the huge monetary problem it brought to my life um and and it allowed me to put boundaries on that and then it sort of forces me to to both um to pick from a very specific pool of games. Um, and I think that's important for people to do. Like there's the, one of the lessons I learned here was you have something you think is a problem. Like you buy too many video games or you buy too many shoes or whatever it is. Fine. Just accept that about yourself. Don't beat yourself up. <laughs> Just accept it and find a way to accommodate it. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. if you buy too many shoes, like maybe there's a shoe subscription service or Maybe you, you can learn how to return half of them every week or, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. And so for me, um, I think that was the biggest thing I learned was just like the things that I drive myself crazy uh, about myself, I can actually embrace to some extent and cause myself a lot of, uh, save myself a lot of trouble mm -hmm. and hurt. That's interesting. Yeah. I... My my issue is I would all almost always rather do nothing than do something, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> which is mm -hmm. I, I'd rather just sit on the couch than like read a book, which is, yeah, I, I, I have. But I does have, that mean watch something like sit and no, watch a show? Well, I mean, usually what it means is like scroll endlessly through social media, which is uh, like yeah, the most toxic thing you can do to your brain, I think. Yeah. yeah. Because um, <laughs> I want to be a person who just sits there and zones out i want to be that guy yeah um i had a roommate in college who changed my life by showing me that was even possible because he would sit <laughs> he would sit on his bed and just stare out the window i'm like what are you doing he's just thinking about stuff he's the smartest dude i knew yeah, yeah. and so i knew it was valuable to do that <laughs> yeah um but i my, cannot bring myself to do it my problem was always that that's what i default to which i you know i like huh. i want to read like i want to in in theory at least i want to watch more good movies like the classics or whatever yeah. um i want to play video games cuz i at least in the back of my mind i like video games you know <laughs> yeah my yeah. solution eventually was that i i just have lists i just make lists of like these are the books i want to read so yeah. if I'm, I'm always like, like if, if I don't feel compelled to be reading something right now, I'll just read whatever's at the top of the list. And usually that's enough to get me into it. So I don't know, you and I have off opposite problems, but, uh, but similar solutions. Yeah. Lists, lists help me wrangle that yeah, yeah. hyperactivity, right? Yeah. Like, so cool. Well, I have three overly serious questions. I ask all my guests at the nice. end of the show. Um, definitely overly serious for this sort of episode. Um, but, um, yeah, ultimately Trump is the first answer. What's that? Trump is the first Trump answer. is the first answer. Okay. Just well, kidding. the, the first question was what is identity? So identity oh, is Trump. Trump. Yeah. No. I, I what mean, is identity? Yeah. I, this is officially, this is in categorized as a philosophy podcast on Apple iTunes app, 
what is it? Apple podcasts now, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I try to ask philosophy questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, we've, we've done episodes about philosophy. This is obviously not an episode about philosophy. It's about whether you can stream video games, but, um, I want to keep the theme going. So what is identity? Does everybody have an identity? How do you know your identity? What do you think? Yeah, I think, oh gosh, I think identity is, um, the, the thing that you bring to the world that is distinct from everyone else. Interesting. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So I guess, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's, no, go ahead. I I think it's like, um, I think of identity as like, um, Look, if you see me and you see I'm a human white male, <laughs> I don't feel that you saw who I am. Okay. Um, I think I think you have to see that I'm a person who's very good at um, hearing and seeing who people are, and and then um, and then helping them amplify that for the world. Uh, I'm a person who ha- who is in touch with his emotions, and who is. Uh, who struggles with uh with uh feeling unhappy all the time like th- those are those are i think part of my identity and mm. and it's because they're in distinction from the people around me and i think you know it's the combination of those things that i think make up the kaleidoscope of my identity <laughs> I'm sorry. The correct answer is my identity is I'm a gamer. I'm a gamer. <laughs> no, but seriously, um, that was. I'm a, I'm a game pass. Yeah, dude. Th- there you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, um, there is a serious uh, point there, though, which is that uh, I feel like a lot of people um, say I get my maybe maybe not necessarily consciously but this they'll be like <laughs> yeah. i get my identity from the groups i belong to like yeah. my yeah. identity is i'm a gamer for instance or my identity yep. is i'm a, an american or whatever um so it's interesting that you say your identity is what's unique about you is that is that a accurate paraphrase or yes i, I think belonging is a, a real struggle and a temptation mm-hmm. in terms of identity, right? Like, I think um, that's what gamers are looking for. They want to be a part of this group of people mm-hmm. that accept one another inherently. And um, I, I guess I've tried that for a long time. And, and But I've also grown up being outside of those groups. I've been outside of the SNES crowd. I've, mm-hmm. been, <laughs> I've been outside of the uh the sega saturn crowd or whatever i don't know yeah yeah. (laughs) i never really cared about the sega saturn crowd but i've been outside of those groups enough that i've i've had to sort of make my own spaces for Mm -hmm. myself and i feel really comfortable doing that and i also think because of that i uh i am am pretty adept at making spaces for people who also feel like outsiders who also feel like they don't quite belong and so um yeah i think i think that's uh definitely like a the gamer thing is like uh it's easy it's Mm -hmm. too easy Mm -hmm. i think and and i find it to be relatively shallow and i think those two things are aligned Hmm. like I, i don't find a lot of enjoyment in just talking about 
video games. No offense, yeah. Luke. Well, but <laughs> I just but wasted like, an hour of your time. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I think we went really deep, right? Like yeah, we, yeah. Went, we went deep into what it means. Yeah, yeah. I don't find a lot of interest in like talking. I've I've had so many because I've I've been the Christ and pop culture guy, the video game guy. Even the podcast guy, a lot of people will come up to me and talk to me on a surface level about these things as if we're having a, a like a friendship conversation. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, that is not what I'm about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be those things. Yeah. I want to be what those things represent. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I saw a really interesting uh, tweet storm the other day from Christina Holland. Um, I don't know if that name means anything to anyone. Really she to she used to write for Cracked. Um, she oh, she nice. back then she used the pseudonym Christina H. But um, anyway, she had put an interesting tweet storm up the other day that was like, I play video games almost constantly, but I have no desire to identify as a gamer because it's yeah. a culture that I just cannot relate to. Yes, like it's, you know what Tim Rogers uses the term game likers. Game likers, yeah, which I love. <laughs> Every time he says it, it just makes me so yeah. happy. Well, I'm, like, how, I'm one of those. Yeah, and it mean, doesn't mean that much. Which is great. <laughs> um, second question is: What is human nature? Is everybody the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? I'm a Calvinist, so <laughs> that's a fast way to end a conversation. <laughs> Case closed. Speaking of identity. Uh, Speaking of things so, we've changed our mind about. I, I used believe... to be a Calvinist. so <laughs> nice. I'll host that episode. There you go. Um, there you go. I do believe in total depravity. Um, mm-hmm. I believe every th- everyone is inherently bad. I also believe that we're created in the image of God, and that means we're, a lot of us is inherently good. So the math works out like we're created good, and then it got messed up. So we're all like messed up good. <laughs> Right. Which means there's still some good there. And the goal is getting the good out. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I look at it like with the video game thing. That's why I'm like, no, like maybe there is something good in my and maybe I, maybe I'm warping something good here by constantly <laughs> spending two dollars on uh, switch games when I, I know I'll never pr- play them. That's a sin. <laughs> But um, maybe there's something that I can draw out that's good about that thing. And so I think like the the human nature question when it comes to bad versus good, I do think that maybe that's the answer to your question. I think we are good people who have become our good gifts and our good identities mm-hmm. that we just talked about, which is what's distinct to us, have become warped. Um, and we just have to work it. We just have to constantly work to recover that. Well, in total depravity, would go a long way to explaining gamer culture. So, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. No, look, I was there for GamerGate, man. My email got leaked in a oh collection gosh. of journalists who were supposedly GamerGate or like not like bad uh, corrupt video game journalists. <laughs> um, geez, whoa, man, talk about total depravity. You, if you don't come out of that and th- believe in total depravity, I don't know what what your problem is. <laughs> Man, Gamergate was so weird. Like, <laughs> it was that. Well, that's the thing. It wasn't that weird. It's just, yeah. it's it was, it's it, it's crazy how um, video games just tells you the future, man. Yeah, yeah. And Gamergate happened about three years before before Trump. Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was everything. Gosh, <laughs> this episode is going up like three days before the election. So, um. <laughs> 
this is some, to get their minds off I, of uh... yeah, i guess yeah i mean originally originally i was going to have a more political guest on but he had to get bumped back to later in the month so we're talking video you know this is this is um i don't even know what to call it this is this is palate your, cleanser yeah palate cleanser from all the election craziness so i guess you know in a couple of days we'll know if we get four more years of gamergate i guess oh my gosh <laughs> we'll get gamergate either way we'll yeah get more well yeah way. it's true it's a fixture at this point it's true all right and finally what is truth how do you know truth how do you know when you found truth what do you think uh i think truth I know what truth is not. <laughs> truth is not in me. Um, mm. I I am not my own authority. I don't mm. trust myself to do that. Um, I think truth is. Uh, oh gosh, I feel so pretentious answering this question. Does everyone <laughs> does everyone feel pretentious answering this question? Yeah, you know, I've had guests on that are like, "Man, I hate philosophy," but then I make them answer the questions anyway. So, <laughs> truth is what's you know. I'm gonna answer this simply. Truth is what aligns with reality. Well, there you go. I think truth is the true pursuit of ethical games journalism. That's what I think. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking as you were talking, I was thinking how I should have answered that like about video games. Like yeah, yeah. what's the video game answer? I mean, like, you know, video game reviews. What's a truly good game? Hmm. I don't know, man. It's it's subjective, dude. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing about games is there's it, there's so many genres that feel so different from each other, like in ways yeah. that like genres of literature, film, aren't necessarily different from each other. You know, yeah. like yeah. what's the connect? What's the connection between say Tetris and Halo? You know, like I don't know. You know, like yeah, I, they're the same thing in that they're games on a screen, but beyond that, it's like I don't know. And yet, both can be very good games. And yep. maybe even the, a lot of the same people like both, you know, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, video games are varied things. Deep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like a good film, a good, a good novel, maybe tell you something profound about the human condition, but a good game, maybe like what will, tells yeah, you something what, profound about yourself and the way you interact it. with it. It's yeah. like what, what a game does is practical use is drastically different depending mm -hmm. on what kind of game you're talking about which when you think about it is probably true too for a novel to some extent yeah. but maybe like a more broad i think adding in the those those pieces of like meditation i play games that have gotten you know that have that have helped me to relax i've played games that have helped me to uh get my rage out if that's a thing <laughs> <laughs> um I've, I've played games that have just like, you know, made me feel like I've actually accomplished something in the day, which mm. is a really valuable thing for your mm -hmm. brain to feel yeah. every now and then. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, games accomplish all kinds of weird stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then I play games that like Papers, Please, that make me realize that uh, be empathetic with a dude mm -hmm. who's trying to let immigrants in or not and has to keep his family alive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that can be really hard and deep. Yeah. All right. Well, Richard, thanks so much for coming on the show, having this conversation. Yeah, thanks most for fun me. I've had on the show in a while. Ah, um, no offense to recent guests, I guess. I... Eat it, recent <laughs> guests. Before we go, you wanna you wanna plug plug anything you do one more time and tell people yeah. where they can find you. 
I'm going to tell people to go to Apple Podcasts and type in the words Eden Grove. Eden, like the Garden of Eden. Grove, like a grove. And, uh, and then listen to it. And if you like it, tell all your friends and tell the most famous person you know. <laughs> Ratings and reviews don't do anything for me. I don't think they work anymore. <laughs> Just tell your friends and the most famous person you know. We need a big break. I feel very confident in this show, Luke. I feel good about it. Good. I feel like it needs a big break. All right. I will. Um... <laughs> I hope that didn't sound too needy. Hey, you know, I'll do it one more time. Guess go go search for Eden Grove. It sounds good to me. I'm going to check yes. it out. I hadn't heard of it till now, but I'm going to check it out. Nice. So, um, yeah. Thank you for listening to uh, Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington, or you can find my website at LukeTHarrington.com. sort of think that Pandora might be the most appropriately named service ever. Um, when I first encountered Pandora, which I believe was my senior year of college, um, so now you know exactly how old I am. Um, when I first encountered it, I had this moment where I was like, oh no, this is going to completely change the way I interact with music in ways that I'm not necessarily excited about. Um, but it seemed inevitable. Like there was no fighting it really. Um, now Pandora, if you don't know, um, is an automated internet radio service um and it was kind of huge from like the turn of the millennium up to you know the end of that decade 2010 or so um seems like not as many people use it as much anymore um everybody's gone to spotify but pandora their tagline at least for a while was um it's a new kind of radio one that only plays music you like. Um, and it's a very pretty simple, straightforward service where they've, they've just, they've got a huge library of songs um, and they've analyzed them uh, based on, you know, dozens to hundreds of characteristics and you listen. And if you like a song, you can push a little button to say, Hey, I like the song. If you don't, you can push a little thumbs down button. Um, and then it takes that feedback, and based on that, it will continue to play music tailored specifically to your tastes. Um, now, as I said, this was my senior year of college when I discovered it, so 2006, 2007-ish. Um, and... As you've heard, listening to this episode, I, I, I grew up in the 90s, you know, born in 1985. Um, so I grew up in the era of CDs, uh, which was a time when music was, like, incredibly expensive, right? Um, more expensive than it's ever been before or since. 
Um, and as you heard me say, I did not have a lot of disposable income as a kid. Um, I just didn't. Um, so yeah, um, in the, in the nineties, <laughs> if you wanted music, you listen to the radio, um, which I've always kind of hated, like broadcast media. Like I don't like being told what to listen to. <laughs> so I've never been much of a, much of a radio guy or a TV guy. Um, that's my hang up, whatever. Um, so you either listen to the radio, which was free or you bought CDs, which, um, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> hard to, hard to explain to people now, but, um, they were like 20 bucks each for usually about an hour of music, a little bit less. Um, which like I said, music has never been that expensive ever before, before, since, um, LPs when they were big in the in the 60s 70s those were like ten dollars you know um and then uh, obviously from the internet revolution on music is for all intents and purposes free um but in the 90s it was twenty dollars an hour <laughs> to listen to music um so yeah um you would buy cds and you really like if you didn't like the cds you bought you were kind of stuck with them um it's literally illegal to rent music in the U.S. Um, you could rent a movie, you could rent a video game, you can't rent an album. Um, and that is still the case even now when you can just steal whatever you want off the Internet. <laughs> it's still technically illegal in the United States to rent music. Um, so what would happen was, you know, I, sometimes I would buy albums I didn't necessarily love right away um but because that was all i had to listen to um i would listen to them over and over until i couldn't stand them anymore <laughs> or until i um finally figured out what i was supposed to like about them um and the result was some you know i i ended up with some really for lack of a better word intimate relationships with some albums that I wouldn't have necessarily enjoyed otherwise. Um, it really forced me to um, give an album my full attention and kind of just dis discover what people with potentially different musical tastes would have enjoyed about it. Um, and there are a lot of albums that I honestly kind of love to this day that I would not appreciate had that not been the case if if the the economics of music hadn't forced me to um listen to them over and over again um a couple of random examples um uh, the unauthorized biography of reinhold messner by ben folds five did not grab me right away and i love that album now uh ohio by over the rhine again not an album that like grabs you right away at least in my experience but I think is brilliant. Um, and the point is <laughs> when I encountered Pandora and was like, wait, this will just automatically for free play whatever music is easiest for me to appreciate. It was like, this is like blowing up music as I know it. And I'm not sure I love that idea. You know, like suddenly finding music I love takes zero work or at least relatively little work. 
obviously the advantages of that are clear, you know, like I personally still listen to Pandora all the time. Um, but the disadvantages are as clear as well. I, I hope, um, that if you never have to work to appreciate art, then your engagement with art in general tends to become very shallow. Um, and I found, you know, as I listen to Pandora, my musical taste generally tending toward the easy to appreciate stuff, um, <laughs> the repetitive, bouncy pop stuff. Um, and I, you know, again, I don't know if that's entirely a bad thing, but I, I do feel like there's something lost there um had a very similar experience with netflix you know i i was an early adopter of netflix back in the day when they were a dvd by mail service um and at the time they seemed like a great way to like catch up on all these classic movies that i hadn't yet seen um even though i technically have a degree in film studies um there's still a lot in the canon that I, you know, at least at the time hadn't experienced. And it was great. I felt like I was I was bettering myself as a person. But then Netflix shifted to a streaming service, um, which, you know, led to um, a much more limited catalog and also turned them into like an instant gratification machine. And suddenly... Before I even realized what had happened, Netflix had gone from this service that was allowing me to discover the wonders of classic cinema to this service that let me watch Futurama over and over and over again. Um, and I know for most people it was Friends or The Office. For me, it was Futurama. Um, but, and I, I just, I don't know exactly how to feel about that. Like, on the one hand, obviously it's nice. On the other hand, I kind of wonder if it was making me dumber <laughs> or at least less patient um, or at least less deeply engaged with the ideas and the things around me. I don't know. Um, but yes, that's probably a metaphor um, for the internet in general, <laughs> that it's a place where we can always find exactly what pushes the right endorphin buttons in our brain, which means if we don't want to, we never ever have to engage with ideas or concepts or works that are challenging. And I don't know, I mean, we talk about the quote-unquote echo chamber all the time on this show so maybe none of that is news but it is something to think about um i don't know exactly what it means you know it, it's something we all need to wrestle with i think um there's a, a web comic called saturday morning breakfast cereal um it's pretty famous you've probably seen it even if you don't know the name um there's one um one episode or whatever installment of it uh where it's a 
you know, and young and an adult with a baby. Um, and the baby's like playing in a cardboard box and, um, the adult says, ha ha, it's so cute that, um, you buy your baby a new expensive fancy toy and all he wants to do is play with the box. Um, and the baby turns to the adult and in, you know, full sentences, he says, uh, you have access to the complete works of Shakespeare for free and you still watch game shows for six hours a day or something like that. Um, and if that is not the human condition in the age of the internet, I don't know what is. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily a problem. And I don't know what the solution for it is. Um, but I do want you to think about it. Figure out what it means for you. Um, maybe consciously make an effort to seek out more challenging stuff. I don't know. Um, anyway, that's it for this week. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you like what I'm doing and you want to support the show, uh, you know what to do. Go on Apple Podcasts or whatever the heck they're calling it these days. Give me a little five-star rating. Maybe write me a five-star review or four stars if you think I'm not completely amazing, which, I mean, obviously you do, but, you know, I'll take the, I'll take the four stars. I can take it. I've got a strong ego. Um, yeah, if you uh, want to support me financially, uh, I do have a Ko-Fi set up. Uh, it's ko-fi.com slash changed my mind. You can go there. You can throw me $3, $6, $9. Um, it's based on increments of three because that's the price of a cup of coffee, I guess. Um, buy me a cup of coffee. It's delicious. At least that's what they tell me. Um, if you don't just want to throw money at me, which obviously you do, but if you would like something in exchange for your money, you can uh, buy my book. Um, I have a new book out through Harper Collins called Murder Bears, Moonshine, and Mayhem, Strange Stories from the Bible to Leave You Amused, Be Amused, and Hopefully Informed. Um, it's through a Christian publisher, HarperCollins Christian, um, but it is written with a general audience in mind. If you are someone with some curiosity about the Bible and an appreciation for butt jokes, it is right up your alley, so to speak. Um, I'm also pleased to announce that my one novel is now back in paperback, uh, so you can check that out if you want. Um, it's a psychological thriller called Ophelia Alive. You can find that on Amazon or you can find it at my website. Um, it was out of paperback for a while. I got it back into paperback. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, I was going to say it's a spooky read for your Halloween, but this is going up November 1st. So it's a spooky read for your election season, I guess. I don't know. Um, you can find that online as well if you want. Um, and that's about it. Uh, stay safe out there, folks. Stay patient. Enjoy your video games. Who knows how much longer you'll have them. Um, <laughs> I do want to thank Jonathan Clausen for editing the show. He is a great guy, uh, knows more about video games than I ever will. 
edits out my video game flubs. I appreciate it. I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Uh, Those guys are great. They do a couple other shows called um, Faith and Other Oddities, which is a show about the Bible, and The Commentarians, which is a show about movies. You should check them both out. I want to thank Richard for coming on the show. Richard is, as always, a great guy. I'm lucky to know him. Um, Really enjoyed talking to him. And finally, I want to thank you for listening to Change My Mind. And please don't be afraid to change your mind. Mm -hmm.